0: Ruth chapter 3 Then Naomi her mother-in-law said to her My daughter should not should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were See he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer.' And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear.'" I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me for he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We are today coming to Ruth chapter 3. Uh, this has become one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. And I know it's because uh, of timely, uh, uh, the lot in life, life that I am right now, where I find myself, This is such an amazing book of hope, and as we wrap it up next week, I wanna talk a little bit about that and why this book has been so meaningful to me in this time, and I hope... Uh, It has been to you as well and that you've learned some things that you will carry through uh, Because when you enter into times in life when you've had tragedy Then you will see that uh, God turns tragedy to triumph all the time. That's his business and so uh, It's been very meaningful to me and I hope to you we come to chapter 3 today and as we come to chapter 3 You know, I I heard about this husband and wife that got into an intense argument and the wife's feelings got hurt, so she called her mother and she said, he, we got into an argument and he has yelled at me again and I'm coming to stay with you. And her mother said, no, no, you're not. He needs to pay for his crimes. I'm coming to stay with you. And so, you know, every man has a dump truckload of mother-in-law jokes, right? I mean, that's just what we men do. We've got a dump truckload of mother-in-law jokes. And, and, and here's the thing we know, there is nothing greater Mother-in-laws, listen to this, I I, I promise you this, there is nothing greater than a good mother-in-law. Nothing greater, there's no greater blessing. I know that I had one, Amy and I were determined to be great in-laws, not to not, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing worse or a bigger curse than having a meddling mother-in-law, right? A controlling meddling mother-in-law, and mother-in-laws be a blessing and not a curse, all right? And so today as we come to Ruth chapter three, Naomi could be considered a meddling mother-in-law. Uh, That's what she could be considered, but really, and she does meddle a little bit, but it's not out of a controlling uh, spirit, it's out of a caring spirit, as she really desires what's best for her daughter-in-law. So remember in chapter two, to bring you up to where we are today, and then to give you the story, and then at the end, I'll give you some observations about the story. That's sort of, so you can expect what's going on, some some thoughts about the story. Uh, uh, Remember, in chapter two, they're back in Israel, They've made it back to Israel and uh, Ruth looks around basically and they have no food in the house. The cabinets are bare. They don't even have ramen noodles in the house and Ruth says, I gotta go glean for some food. It was akin to what might be a dumpster diving today for scraps, right? I mean, it's the lowest of the low. You'd go out and you'd pick up leftover, left behind uh, grain from the harvesters that the harvesters didn't pick up. God commanded this to happen uh, in scripture so that uh, the poor could be taken care of. So Ruth had been out gleaning and she'd come home, and she had hit the jackpot. I mean, man, she had so much wheat. Uh, she had so much grain that they had grain, uh, you know, uh, for days. And so Ruth uh, comes in with all this grain, and Naomi is like, where did you glean today? And she said, I, I gleaned in the field of a man named Boaz. Now, Boaz was a very wealthy and generous, distant relative of Ahimelech, who was Naomi's husband. And so the scripture says God just, she just so happened to glean in this field. In other words, the scripture, the, the writer is being sarcastic. She didn't just so happen to do anything. God put her in this very field at this very moment, at this very time for this very purpose, right? And so... She comes in and says, I've been in the field of Boaz. And Ruth gets a smile on her face, a snap in her step, because she realizes, hey, Boaz is one of our redeemers. And then Naomi says, "Uh, you know, I... Uh, should seek rest for you that it may go well with you, my daughter-in-law. In In other words, it's time I find you a husband, right? It's time I find you a husband. Now, there are two biblical concepts that you really need to get your mind around in order to understand this story. One is the concept of the kinsman redeemer, and one is the liverite marriage. If you look in Leviticus and 25, Deuteronomy 25, God establishes this, this concept of kinsman redeemer because the passing on of land was very important in Israel. God had brought the nation into the promised land, and then He had divided uh, the land up and given the tribes their inheritance and He wanted it to stay in that frame of uh, you know the the tribe 's inheritance and so very important to pass on that land along your family who was a part of a clan who was' a part of the tribe and so God also knew that. The world had been broken by sin. As a result of sin, that we would lose, that the Israelites would lose their inheritance. They would lose their land or squander their inheritance. And so he, uh, he created this principle of the kinsman redeemer, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25, where is if a, a family member loses or squanders their land, it could be redeemed by a family member so that it would stay within the family. Okay, so that the land would stay within a family. So that's the kinsman redeemer concept. The other is the liverite marriage. Now, in that day, a widow had zero uh, rights and zero way to make a living, to earn a living, to have food, anything uh, in society. She had to depend completely upon her family, upon her sons. And so also, not only was the passing on of land very important in Israel, but the passing on of the name. And so if a man died without having a, an heir, God established the Leverite marriage, which Lever means husband's brother. So here's the principle. It, the, the concept is that if your husband died and you had not no children for your husband to have an heir, so that his land and inheritance would be passed on, then the next brother in line would marry his dead brother's widow, and the first child that they had would be the heir legally of his dead brother. It would be in his name and have his inheritance. So God established these two concepts so that the passing on of land and the passing on of the name would continue. In Israel. And so knowing that as we as we come down to this, you know, first thing I thought of when I read is like, ladies, you better keep him happy and healthy, because if not, you might be waking up beside your brother in law, you know. And so some of you are like, oh no, we're we going to the hospital today to get you checked out, right? And so, but Naomi here, with that in the background, Naomi made a plan. She made a plan. She knew the harvest was over. Harvest was been seven, eight weeks long. Naomi had been gleaning in the field of Boaz for seven, eight weeks, and he was a very wealthy man. He had many sections on many sections of the field. He had a lot of grain, and so he knew that she knew that Boaz would be winnowing his grain on the threshing floor. Now, winnowing was taking the grain and basically beating the grain, and when the grain would come out, they would take a pitchfork and they would toss it in the air into the wind, and the wind would separate the chaff from the grain, making the grain ready to sell. And so that's what Boaz would have been doing on the threshing floor, winnowing, beating the grain, separating the chaff from the, uh, from the kernels to get the kernels ready to go to market. And so he would have had all this grain after seven, eight weeks, and he was a very wealthy man, so he had a lot of harvest. So he would have had, I mean, loads of grain, heaps of grain, stacks of grain, and this was stacks of cash. In that day, it was an agrarian society. Cash is king, you've heard today. Well, that was cash. Grain was king, because that was like having stacks of cash laying on the floor. And if you've got stacks of cash laying on the floor, in, even in a public place, what are you going to do at night? Well, you're not going to go home and just leave your stack of cash laying there. You're going to sleep there to keep the gypsies, tramps, and thieves, as Cher would say, away from your stacks of cash, right? And some of you young people like, Cher who, right? I mean, so... Uh, but the so so he's got this grain and Naomi realizes he's winnowing the grain. He's going to be sleeping there, so she comes to Ruth and says, "Hey, I, I got I got an idea. Here's what we're going to do. Boaz is going to be in a very secluded place tonight. He he's got his grain winnowing. He, he's winnowing grain and he's going to eat dinner. And so here's what I want you to do. You need to go in there and take you a long bubble bath." Right, then puts you on some of this really nice Bath and Body Works lotions and puts you on, spritz you on some Chanel, put on that little sundress, them high heels, get really diddied up, looking nice, and then go down to the winnowing, the threshing floor. But you stay stealth now. You stay hidden. Do not let Boaz know you're there. Wait till he's had dinner and a few cocktails. And after he's had dinner and a few cocktails, he's gonna go lay down on his grain to protect it and go to sleep. And wait, wait till he goes to sleep. Then when he goes to sleep, you uncover his feet, and lay down at his feet, and don't you say a word. He's going to tell you what to do. You read that, and you're like, I bet he's going to tell her what to do, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what you're thinking. And you're like, I, I first read this, and I'm like, what is Naomi thinking? I mean, she's been reading way too many. She must have been reading romance novels while, while Ruth's been out gleaning in the hot sun, right? I mean, what is she thinking? Moms, just for a moment, let me ask you a question. Does this sound like advice that you're going to give your daughter on prom night? You just lay at his feet. He's gonna tell you what to do, I don't think you're gonna give your, I mean, what is she doing? I mean, is she literally trying to talk Ruth into seducing Boaz? That's what it sounds like, it's very steamy, it's very romantic. I don't think so at all. I don't think that she's trying to talk Ruth into into, uh, 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 seducing him. Hang on, we're gonna get there, all right? Uh, So Naomi was a very shrewd woman. Everything worked out just as she said. Ruth gets ready. She takes a bath. She puts her perfumes on. She goes down and she stays hidden. She watches Bo, Boaz from a distance and uh, he, can't, he doesn't know she's there and she watches. He has dinner. Man, he knocks back a few cocktails. His heart's merry, uh, it says. And then he goes and he lies down at his grain heap so to, to protect his grain heap and he, he drifts off. He drifts off to sleep, and Ruth, just exactly what her mother-in-law told her to do, she goes over, uncovers his feet, lies down at his feet, and then Boaz, in the middle of the night somewhere, he wakes up, and he's startled because there is a beautiful woman in your bed, and you're a single man, and you go to bed, and you wake up, and there's a beautiful woman in your bed, you think, I did have way too many cocktails, or what's going on here, right? And so it says that Boaz said, he wakes up, he's startled, and he says, who are you? Now, here's the thing about scripture. You read it, but you don't know the tone. And you know, in communication, it's not just words. It's like why email is sometimes such a terrible way to communicate because, man, you don't know tone, you don't know body language. All those things are a part of communication. And so I just wonder, I, I read this and I stopped and I put a smile on my face and I wondered, I wonder what tone Boaz used. In, in, in it. I mean, was it, was it like nervous and shock? Was it like, hey, who are you? You know, was he shocked or was it excitement, like, hey, oh, who are you? You know, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean wh- what was his tone? I, you know, I, I don't know, but, but he wakes up and he says, Who are you? And Ruth said, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, Ruth has used this word servant in chapter two, but it was a different word. That's why it's important when we look at this, we read servant chapter two, we read servant. Our English is, is not as complex as some of the other languages. And so, so the words are completely different words. The word servant in chapter two was slave servant. It meant, I'm your worker. I'm your worker girl. I'm here to work in your field. I'm here to do what you tell me to do. Uh, I, I'm your slave servant. But in chapter three, it's not the same word. It means maid servant. And that whole word servant basically means I am now available to produce an heir. She's basically saying, I'm on the market. I'm on the market, right, right? I mean, she's saying, I'm your maidservant. I'm on the market. Now, Now this is, is, is where Ruth goes off script. Naomi, what Naomi tell her to do? She said, go down, uncover his feet, lay at his feet, and don't say a word. He's going to tell you what to do. She did exactly what Naomi told her to do, except when he was startled and asked, who are you? This is when she went off script. She didn't wait for him to tell her what to do. She told him what to do. She said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And rather than waiting, she she leaned in and she said, you are my redeemer. Spread your wings over me, for you are my redeemer. Now, again, you're like, what is she asking him to do? Because if you don't know and you're reading this, um, there's some innuendos here. You're like, what is she at? Spread your wings over me. You're, what, you're, you're my redeemer. What, what's she asking him to do? And, and, and the, the deal is, is, although it seems steamy and provocative, it's really not. It, it's an idiom in that day used to propose marriage. Basically, in that day, a man, one of the customs, would a man would throw a blanket over a woman as a symbol of protection and security. I don't know that maybe where the security blanket idea came from, but it was a uh, he would throw a blanket over a woman as a uh, symbol of protection and security, basically symbolizing I'm going to provide for you, I want you to be my wife. This was in that day a symbol and idiom for a marriage proposal. Ruth has just proposed marriage to Boaz. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I mean, Ruth has just proposed marriage to Boaz. And, 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 and when she said this, she said, uh, uh, basically, will you marry me? Here's what else Ruth is doing from the very beginning. Ruth is making her intentions known while she's here in his bed, in his bedroom, in the middle of the night. Uh, she's making her intentions known. She basically says, hey, Boaz, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not here for a one-night stand. I'm here for a husband. I'm not here for an experience, I'm here for a marriage. Right, and, and she's making her intentions known from the very beginning, and, and, and she was clear with that. And, and here's the cool thing. Naomi had told her, you go and let him tell you what to do, you just, but that's not what she did. She invoked and telling him what to do and saying that you are my redeemer. spread your wings over me. She was invoking the goel, G-O-E-L, which is a word that means your kinsman redeemer. So in doing that, she made this much more about her than about her. She wasn't just saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm of marrying age and I can produce an heir. You're single, I'm single. I wanna be happy, you wanna be happy. Man, let's do this thing. Let's get married. Let's make each other happy. Wasn't that at all. This was way beyond. This was, she was basically saying, Look, marry me, but I'm gonna, in, in marrying me, you need to realize that our marriage is about something much more than my happiness and your happiness. This marriage is about Ruth and Ruth's happiness. This is not just about my future and your future. This is about Ruth's future. This is not just about children that we will produce. This is about an heir for Ruth. So she's realizing from out of the gate that her marriage is about something much more. Folks, listen, married men and women and those who are single, uh, as you, you know, are looking and heading that way, hopefully one day in your mind, you're praying for that. Here's what you need to know if your marriage right now is about you, if your spouse is about making you happy, fulfilling your dreams, uh, fulfilling your uh, desires, if that's what your marriage is about, I promise you, there will always be sparks flying in your marriage because that is rarely going to happen. You're going to be disappointed with how that happens. But the day you realize, The moment that you realize marriage is not about me, it's about something better. It's not just about me. Yes, God's blessed you with marriage. He's blessed us with this gift of marriage, but it's not just about you. It's about something more. In our case, it points to Christ. It's about something more. It's about my marriage being about not just my needs being met and my satisfaction and my desires being met. It is about something more. The moment a husband and wife both realize that together, your marriage will go to a brand new level your marriage will go to a whole nother level, I promise you. When you go into marriage singles, you go into marriage realizing this marriage is not just about me and my happiness. It is about something so much more. And so that's what Ruth did. Ruth, Naomi's a very shrewd woman, but Ruth is a very smart woman. And she Told him out of the gate, I'm here for a marriage, I'm here for a husband. But I want you to understand this is not just about me, this is about something much more. This is about Naomi. So, Ruth, think about how bold Ruth was. Think about this woman in this day. How bold. You're talking about willing to take a risk for the for for the glory of God. You're talking about being willing to take a risk. I mean, this woman. Think about, it. she could have, she faced rejection, she risked rejection, and that's always the danger, isn't it? Guys and gals, and if you're dating, it's always, oh, man, I don't know, I'm gonna get rejected. Maybe you're, it's not dating, maybe it's a job, maybe it's, uh, we, we live our lives in fear of rejection. Maybe it's a friend, I don't, man, reject me. Ruth, she risked rejection. Yes, Boaz was one of her redeemers, but the issue that at play here was, he had a loophole because she was not an Israeli. She was not a, a a born. She wasn't born. That was not her heritage. So he had a loophole because that kinsman redeemer issue didn't apply outside of Israel. He had a loophole to get out. He could have very easily stiff armed her and said, "Are you crazy?" He could have rejected her and said, "Oh, it's not. It's not you. It's me." Or, "Hey, look, it is you." He could have rejected her. What a risk that she took to get all, you know, to bathe, to get diddied up, nice, looking nice, smelling nice, and going down there, and him saying no, and her walking home with rejection. I mean, man, it was dangerous. There was animals out at night. There was thieves. I mean, bad men were out at night because this was the place. I mean, it was like, man, piles of cash laying everywhere. That's where the thieves and the bad men are going to be, right? She risked danger to herself. She risked danger to her reputation. When people saw her, if people saw her go into this guy's uh, bed to, to where he was sleeping at night, what do you think they're gonna think? She risked her reputation? Here's a woman who was bold and willing to take a risk for the kingdom of God. Are you bold and willing to take a risk? You must be bold to share your faith. You must be bold. Put signs in your yard. You must be bold. And Are you bold and willing to take a huge risk? That is exactly what Ruth did. And rather than, when, when she did this, Man, pleasantly surprised. Rather than running for the border, as some dudes would do, your fear of commitment, oh, this was good, but oh, she's asking me to marry her. Oh, well, you know. I mean, rather than running for the border, man, he didn't run for the border. He, he, he leaned in. He praised her. He, he praised her. He, he didn't run for the border. He praised her. Uh, uh, he praised her loyalty and said, may you be blessed by the Lord. And what he's doing right here is he's saying, listen, man, this is, this is God did this. This is God who's all over this. God is the one who brought you to Israel. He's the one who brought you into Bethlehem. He's the one that brought you into my field. He's the one that brought you into my life, and he's the one that brought you here tonight. He has brought God into this relationship from the very beginning, and it's amazing, right? He said, your last act of kindness is greater than your first act of kindness, and what's he talking about? Well, what was her her, her first act of kindness? Her first act of kindness was coming to Bethlehem with Naomi because remember, she was a Moabitess. She would have been an alien. As a matter of fact, people in Israel hated the Moabites. So she come from a country that people hated. People would have looked at her immediately and thought, oh, Look at her. She would have been on the outside looking in. She would have been jeered at. She would have been ostracized. She would have been left out. She would have had nothing, no chance of of a future, no chance of a husband, humanly speaking, in her mind, logically speaking, no chance of a future. And she had a future in Moab. She had parents in Moab. She had friends in Moab. She had all kind of potential husbands in Moab. She would have definitely gotten married in Moab. She had a future full of children and, and a life, and she said, I'll leave all that because I'm making a commitment to Naomi. Wow. You're talking about a woman of sacrifice, a woman of Lord. And, and so that was her first act of kindness, and what's her second that's greater is not only are you willing to forsake your future, but now you're willing to, your, your marriage, you're realizing it's not just about me, it's about Naomi. I'm going to give her an heir. Wow. I mean, your first act of kindness is much greater than your second act. And so Boaz said, you know what? I will redeem you. I would love to redeem you, but we got a problem. You see, the problem is, uh, when we look at this, the problem is that there is a redeemer that is closer than me. In other words, I'm not next in line. Yeah, I'm one of your redeemers, but I'm not next in line. There is one who is next in line. And uh, we have got to see if he wants to redeem you. Because if he does, then he must redeem you. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing here the right way. And so he says, uh, we must see if, see if he desires to redeem you. So you remain here tonight. And in the morning, we'll see who's going to marry you. So, now, the wording, again, the wording in Hebrew is very significant, and the word wording for remain here is the word, it really means lodge, and here, it's a word that has zero sexual connotation, okay? So, here's what Boaz is doing. Again, woman in the middle, uh, in the middle of the night, he wakes up, a woman in his bed, she immediately tells him, hey, hold on a minute before you get the wrong idea, I'm not here for, for, uh, for an experience, I'm not here for a one-night stand, I'm here for a husband and for marriage, she made her intentions clear. He said, You stay here tonight. There is one closer than me. We're going to see in the morning, but you stay here tonight. The word that had literally zero sexual connotation. He said, You stay here. And basically, he said, You stay here, but you're sleeping on the couch, okay? I mean, uh, that, that's, that's not, I'm just trying to give you the idea of what would happen today. You stay here, but you, we're, we're, nothing's happening between me and you. He made his intentions very clear from the beginning. Listen, guys and gals who are dating, whether you're in, a teenager, whether you're in college, whether you're uh, 30, 40, 50, 60, you're dating, you're, you're in relationships. You, you, here's, here's what you need to understand make your intentions clear from the beginning. You make your intentions clear. Don't lead anybody along you make your intentions clear about what this relationship is about where you're going how what, what where, where you're not going you make your intentions clear that that's what we see with Ruth that's what we see with Boaz uh and and so he told her to remain there now why would he tell her to remain there uh it, because Number one, he was concerned for her safety. It's the middle of the night. He doesn't want this young lady going out into the, to, to, to the town with all these men that he knows is out there looking uh, for something to do, just like he had had a few cocktails. There are many out there that had, had way too many cocktails, and, and, and he knew that bad things happen in the middle of the night, right? My mom used to tell me, hey, buddy, after 12 o'clock, ain't nothing good that happens. Get home, right? Uh, well, she was right. I didn't come home at 12 o'clock most of the time, and after 12, they wasn't much stuff I was doing that was good, right? And so uh, he didn't send her out because he was a f- a concerned for her safety. Uh, he, wild animals were out, but he was also concerned for her reputation. What do you think they're going to think when they see a woman leaving his uh, threshing floor in the middle of the night? What have they been doing? Well, they, well she's just been working uh, overtime. No, that's not what they're going to think. Right, And so, so he, he told her to stay a, and, until in the morning, and they woke before the sun came up uh, so that no one would see them together. And he said, don't let anyone know you've been here. Again, he's not trying to cover up some illicit, uh, scandalous uh, thing that happened by saying, don't let anyone know. He's trying to protect her reputation. He, he really cares for this woman, and he wants her reputation to be spot on as it is. And, and so he said, hey, but before you go, uh, uh, come over here and, and open your shawl. And, I'm, and he poured in six measures of barley into her shawl. Now, what's six measures of barley? We don't just say, well, you know, put six measures. What is six measures of barley? Well, it's about 75 pounds of barley. I mean, you know what that meant, don't you? That meant Ruth, man. She obviously did CrossFit. She's hauling 75 pounds of barley across town. She obviously did CrossFit, but we know she didn't do CrossFit because like everybody else that does CrossFit, she would have said in every other word right here, I do CrossFit. And, and so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but she, here's the thing about Ruth, man. She was a, I mean, she was fit. I mean, she's working out in the hot sun. She's a hard worker and she's carrying 75 pounds of grain home to Naomi. He, said, he gave her 75 pounds of grain, and he said, I'm going to give you 75 pounds of grain because I don't want you to go home empty-handed to Naomi. That's another beautiful wording here. He said, I don't want you to go home empty-handed to Naomi. Same word used in chapter one, when Ruth and Naomi come back into Bethlehem, and the, the women are so excited. Oh, here's Ruth. Here's Ruth. This must be one of her daughter in laws. And here's, I mean, I'm sorry, here's Naomi. And this must be one of her daughter. She said, Don't call me Naomi. Remember, Naomi meant sweetheart. She said, I'm not, Don't call me sweetheart. I'm not sweet. Call me Mara. Mara meant bitter. I, I, call me bitter. I'm a bitter old lady now. She said, I went away full. Remember, I went away. She had two, a husband. She had two sons. She had a future mapped out. She hoped for grandkids, heirs. I, I, I went away full. God brought me back empty empty. I have nothing. I have no husband. I have no sons. I have no heir. I have no grandkids. I have nothing. God brought me back empty. It's the same word used. I don't want you to go home empty handed. He's sending her a message. He's sending her a message. See, it, it, she comes home. Ruth comes home and in and, and, and the wee hours of the morning, it's still dark and Ruth comes home and you know that Naomi has been lying awake all night wondering what's going on. What's going on? Man, I wonder what they're doing now. I wonder what they're talking about now. She's not home yet, so maybe he's open to this idea. I mean, he didn't reject her immediately or she'd have come home. And I, what's going on? She'd been laying awake all night, running the scenarios through her mind. What's going on? And then she hears the door crack, but she gets up, she beats uh, Ruth into the kitchen probably, and, 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 and she's like, okay, I, tell me, tell me. I can't wait anymore. Tell me, give me the beats, lady. What's going on? Are you engaged or not? And Ruth didn't show her a ring, but instead she showed her 75 pounds of grain. And she said, Boaz, give me this because he didn't want me to return to you empty-handed. And he sent a message to Ruth and Ruth got the message. You know that Ruth smiled because she got the message. Basically, here's what Boaz is doing. Boaz is sending her a message and said, I don't want you to come home empty-handed. Same thing she said. Boaz is saying, I know you came home empty. I know you came home and your stomach was empty because you had zero food in Moab. Your stomach was empty, your soul was empty, your heart was empty, your life was empty because you had no husband, you had no sons, you had no heir. He sent home 75 pounds of grain and he said, I know you've been empty, but listen, I will make sure from now on your stomach is full and I will make sure that your life is full with an heir. You will not suffer anymore. You will not suffer anymore. See folks, God is always working. God will not leave his people empty. God will not. Some of you come empty today. Some of you come empty because of circumstances within your life, whether it's marital circumstances, whether it's kid circumstances, financial health circumstances, work circumstances. Some of you come very empty. And you're like Ruth and Naomi. You don't see what God's doing, but he's doing. He's working, and he will not leave his people empty. Ruth or Naomi got the message. And basically, Ruth, she didn't get engaged that night. Boaz didn't throw the, uh, the, the bl- his blanket over her. Uh, she didn't get engaged. She didn't come home with a ring on. But here's what Boaz told her. I'm not giving you a ring. I'm not getting down on one knee. But I'll promise you this. Tomorrow, you will have a ring on your finger. You'll have a ring on your finger. It'll either be from me or the other dude that's closer than me. But one of us will put a ring on your finger tomorrow. So Ruth now and Naomi knows Either way, there's a marriage in the future. Either way, God has been working and we didn't see it and we didn't know it. And wow, we thought, we thought it was the end of the line, but God has been working. Now, that's the, that's the story that Janice read and that I just storied for you. Uh, now, let me, let me give you some thoughts on this, right? Let me give you some application points that I think every person in this room and watching online will will do well to take heed of and learn from about this story. There's so many, but let me, let, me, let me give you a couple. One, here's what we need to learn from this story. God blesses those who live with intentionality. God blesses those who live with intentionality. Uh, last week, we talked about how we should pray hard and work hard, right? We should pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on us. I mean, we should pray hard and work hard. That's exactly what we see Naomi doing here. We see Naomi, man, looking for Ruth a husband. But she, I'm sure she prays, but she doesn't just pray, God, give Ruth a husband, and sit back and wait for a man to swipe right. That's not what she does. She prays and then she gets busy, she makes a plan. She makes an intentional plan. Folks, you need to understand that those who thrive, those who are successful, are people who have intentional plans. They're people with intentionality. You've heard the old saying probably that uh, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. That's a true statement. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. If you don't make a plan, things are probably not just going to happen. Okay, so so God blesses those who live with intentionality. That intentionality means uh, you know within your marriage, do you have a marriage plan? Do you want your marriage to thrive? Do you want your marriage to to you know go somewhere? Do you want it to thrive? Do you want five years from now? Do you want your marriage to be richer than it is today? Do you want it to be more fulfilling and better than it is today, more godly than it is today? Do you want your marriage to be stronger than it is today? Then make a plan? Here's some things. That should be in that plan. And, and gentlemen, I'm just gonna tell you, you should take the lead in doing this. Here, here's some, I, I don't know what your marriage plan specifically is, but I know some things that should be in it. Number one, do we pray together? When do we pray together? That's a part of the plan. Uh, do, do, do we pray together? When do we pray together, right? Uh, do I date my wife do I take her on dates? We're gonna go on a date, how long are we gonna go on a date? You see, guys, it's not you dated your wife until you married her, and when you married her, man, you, you got her, she can't go anywhere, so I don't have to date her anymore, right? No, you date your wife for life, okay? You date your wife for life. So have you take her on a date? Do you take her away on a weekend getaway every so often? Uh, I, I mean, you know, you, you make a marriage plan. Do, do we have goals for our marriage? If you don't, I'm just, you, you expect your marriage to be, you want your marriage to be richer in five years and you think it's gonna happen by sitting on the couch? Yeah, I mean, if you really want your body to be in better physical shape, is it going to happen if you don't make a plan? Is it going to happen if you plan on, I've gotta get up, I've gotta do this, I've gotta go to the gym, I've gotta walk, I've gotta do this? Or, or you think it's gonna happen, man, I want my body to be better in five years. I hope it does, man, and I'm just gonna keep eating and I'm just gonna go keep going along and I hope in five years, man, I have six packs. It ain't gonna happen. All right, you're gonna have a lot more in a six pack, okay? So make a plan. You have a marriage plan? Do you have a parenting plan? Listen, parenting is tough and it's hard. It causes so much stress in, in the lives of so many parents. And one of the reasons it causes so much stress, just like marriage, is because you don't have a parenting plan. How are we gonna discipline? How are we going to discipline? Uh, are we going to let our, what age are we going to let our kid have a cell phone? What age are we, we're going to let them, you know, do this? How much time are we going to let them be on the computer? How much time are we going to let them play games? You know, are we going to, uh, uh, do you have a plan? Do you have a, a parenting plan? Uh, we're, we're never going one of us is never going to say yes until we talk to the other because they've probably already been to you and you said no and they're coming to you now. Right? So we're, we're going to say, okay, hold on. I've got to talk to your mom first. got to talk to your dad first. Do you have a marriage plan? Do you have a parenting plan? Do you have a spiritual plan, a spiritual growth plan? You, th- you really want to be richer in your walk with Christ uh, in five years? You want to be deeper in your walk with Christ in five years? If you're a believer, I believe you do. But here's the problem. You think it's going to happen, by just sitting around? Or, or do you think, man, I've got to make a plan, which might include I've got to get up 30 minutes early so I can earlier so I can have my quiet time, so I can be in the Word and be in prayer? I, it, memorize Scripture. I mean, I, I can do... Now, you can do your quiet time any time of the day. You'd say, well, I'll, I'll just do it when I get home because I really like my sleep. That's great. If you do it, the problem is... This is my problem, and I, I bet you're a lot like me. If my plan was to do it at the end of the day, man, by the time I got home from work, my kids would be wanting this, uh, this, this, this. I'd have to do this. And then by the time, man, I got through the evening, I'm, I'm sleepy, and I'm like, I'll just do it tomorrow. Start off with it in the, in the, in the early days. Right? Do you, have a, do you have a spiritual growth plan? Are you reading the word? Do you have a plan to read the word? We have a di- Bible reading plan, a, a prayer, sharing your faith, church attendance. Commi- do you have a spiritual growth plan? I know you wanna grow, but you're not going to in five years if you don't have a plan to do it. If you wanna succeed, you must be intentional with anything, with anything. That's what we see. Ruth and Naomi were intentional. I mean, they prayed, but they acted. They put feet to their prayers, right? They prayed as if it all depended on them and they worked as if it all depended on God. They were intentional. Are you intentional in your marriage and your parenting? Are you intentional spiritually you intentional with your work? Are you intentional or are you just letting life happen? So number one, God blesses those who live with intentionality. So you make a plan and then you gotta be flexible. Because if, unless it's God's word, it might change. In other words, you know, God's word never changes. So that's that's never gonna change. But you might make a plan and say, you know what? we're gonna I'm gonna take my wife out on a date twice a month or once a month, and then you might enter a different stage and then God changes those. You gotta be flexible. Okay, it's gonna change. We're gonna do it this amount now. So you make a plan based on word and prayer and then you be flexible to change it as you go through. Are you intentional? God blesses those who live with intentionality. And second, the second point that, that I want us to see here is God blesses those who live with integrity. God blesses those who live with integrity. I don't think Naomi was telling Ruth to seduce Boaz uh, at all. I, I think Naomi was able to do this and to tell Ruth to go down and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet because, because Ruth and Naomi both were people of great integrity and character and it was well known. I believe she was able to do this because she, they were trusted people And you know what? I mean, people's always like, hey, what age do you let your daughters date, you know? Or what age do you let your kids date? And I'm just going to say, well, dating at my house is a little different concept for one, but, uh, and what you mean by that, but here's the thing, there is no magic age. Because if I say 16, if I can't trust you at 16, you ain't dating at 16, right? I mean, for some people, the point is, do you earn the trust you get more rope when you earn trust. I think that 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 Ruth uh, and and Boaz had a bank load of trust because they were people of in- character and integrity, and people knew I can trust them. So so I don't think she was uh, trying to get him to seduce her her to seduce him at all because uh, they were people of character. Think about this: Boaz could have easily taken advantage of Ruth that night. Easily, I mean, he wakes up and there is a beautiful woman in his bed. He's an adult, she's an adult, no one knows she's here. We're two consenting adults, obviously, she's in my bed. What am I gonna do? He could have easily taken advantage of her. But rather than taking advantage of her, what did he do, he blessed her. He blessed her. He made his intentions known. He brought God into it from the beginning. This is like praying before you go on a date right? I'm bringing God into it. He blessed her from the very beginning. He put the brakes on and made his intentions clear, and he blessed blessed her. Now, I, I think he was very attracted to her, right? I mean, he wakes up. He's got a beautiful woman in his bed. He could have easily taken advantage of her, but rather than taking advantage of her, he blessed her, and I think he's attracted to her. I think he's really attracted to her, but more than he wanted to please himself, get this, This is the choice you've got to make. More than he wanted to please himself, he wanted to please God. Because you're always going to have that choice. You are a man and you are a woman who is created by God with hormones uh, you are created with desires. God gives all these. And so these are there. And so when you're dating, when you're in this relationship, when you're married, and, and some woman who's not your wife or some man who's not your husband, these, these feelings could always be there. And you've got to make a choice. It's like, okay, I might be attracted to him or her, and, but do I want to please myself? Maybe. But do I want to please myself more or God more? Who do I want to please? you got to make that decision before you get in that situation. Do you want to please God more? Do you want to please yourself more? That's what, that's what Boaz had determined. I, I, I would love to be with Ruth, but I want to please God more than I want to please myself. So ladies, let, let, me, let me make sure you understand something. When you're in a relationship and you have made your intentions very clear... You always make your intentions clear so there is no room for misinterpretation so you don't lead anyone alone, alone to a place that you don't want them to be or you don't want to be. You make your intentions clear. And then if you make your intentions clear, lady, or, or guys, uh, uh, vice versa, and some ya- yahoo wants you to you to dishonor God, just know if you've made your intentions clear and they still want you to dishonor God, as, as listen, as, as, truth hurts. They do not love you or cherish you. They want to use you. Okay, That's not loving and cherishing. That is using you. That is themselves. They love themselves. They do not love you. Okay? Any man worth his salt, ladies, will want his wife or woman or girlfriend to be blessed by God and to bless her, not use her. So you hit eject if that happens. You hit eject and don't feel bad about it and don't look back. Save yourself some trouble. Boaz... Showed integrity through his purity, through his actions, through his desires that were not self-serving, they were God-serving and selfless, not selfish. But as also showed his integrity and not keeping this whole thing on the DL. And I'm not talking about her showing up. I'm talking about the whole Kinsman Redeemer thing. See, now he's faced with a situation to where here's a nice young woman. And, and to be quite honest with you, she is a lot younger than him. All right? I mean, he's hit the jackpot, guys. She's a lot younger than him. She's, uh, you know, as we would see it, very attractive. I mean, he has got, and now he's got this one that's closer, but I've got an opportunity. I can keep it on the DL from, from him. And man, we can get married before he finds out. And man, we can, we, can, we can shoehorn this thing, right? I mean, we can, that's not what he did. He didn't keep it on the DL. He had too much integrity. That wasn't the right thing to do. He, 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 so he said, we got to find out if he wants to do this thing first, because Ruth, I'm always going to do the right thing the right way, always. You find a guy like that, ladies, man, you better latch on to him. He might not have a six pack, but I'll promise you, he's got something much more valuable. You, you Integrity and character. He didn't keep this thing on the down, down low. Man, uh, he, he, he said, I'm gonna do the right thing the right way. I believe Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, but, but more than he wanted to marry Ruth, he wanted to obey God. I believe that uh, you know uh, he wanted to obey God. I really believe he was attracted to her and wanted to marry her. Matter of fact, I believe right here he probably said, <laughs> matter of fact, don't get me wrong, I, 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 I'm interested. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go take a cold shower right now, okay? But I'm interested, but there's one closer than me and I want to enjoy you, but more than I want to enjoy you, Ruth, I wanna enjoy God's blessings. I wanna enjoy God's blessings. It was in his will to marry Ruth. That was his will. But more than he wanted his will, he wanted God's will for his life. And here's what he knew. He knew, man, I, I really want this woman. I really would like to marry this woman. But, and, and if I put this out there to this other guy, he's liable to do it. And I'm like, so I'm, what do I do? He knew, look, God's will will. God's will will. You get what I'm saying? If I put it to this other guy and... And this other, this other dude says, yeah, I'll marry her. It was not God's will for me to marry her. And I would have made a bad mistake in trying to shoehorn this thing. And that's what we do, right? I'm, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna pray hard, and I'm gonna trust the Lord. So he knew that if, if the other dude took her, then it wasn't God's will. But if he didn't take her, then God had worked this thing out to bless them both, right? So Boaz was this incredible man of character. So was Ruth. I mean, Ruth was this incredible woman of character, right? As a matter of fact, what did Boaz say? Yes, I want to do this. Everybody in my town knows you're a worthy woman. Ladies, that's the reputation you want to have right there. I'll promise you. That's the reputation you want to have. Everybody, dudes, knows you're a worthy man. Ladies, a worthy woman. That's the kind of reputation that you want to have. She was a worthy woman and woman of integrity. As a matter of fact, The Hebrew Bible is laid out a little differently than our English version, our English Bible. In our English Bible, Ruth comes right after Joshua. Right? It's it's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. uh, uh, I mean, Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges comes after Judges. Ruth. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So Ruth comes right after Judges in our English Bible. Those two books, those three books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, love them. I mean, I just love them. I can't get enough of them. But it comes right after Judges, but not in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, Ruth comes right after Proverbs. And you say, okay, that's an interesting fact. Let me tell you how cool it is. Think about the last chapter of Proverbs. What's the last chapter of Proverbs? Proverbs 31. What do you know about Proverbs 31? What's the Proverbs 31 about? Well, Proverbs 31 is all about a virtuous woman. It's about, it outlines what a virtuous woman is, what she looks like, uh, how she acts, how hardworking she is, an excellent wife who can find, and he outlines, this is what she looks like, Proverbs 31. And then, in the Hebrew Bible, it's Proverbs 31, ending with, this is what a virtuous woman looks like, and then it's almost like, it's like Ruth's next, because, okay, I've told you what she looks like, now let me show you. Let me show you what she acts like and looks like. That's Ruth. That's Ruth, man. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's amazing. Boaz uh, uh, praised her, because she hadn't offered herself to younger, more attractive men for richer or poorer, you're not getting married for love, you're not getting married for money, you're getting married for commitment, for sacrifice. You didn't go out and, 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 and use these boys. You didn't go out and put yourself out there to all the young men in the town just trying to find one that would say, oh, okay, I'm gonna marry this one. You, you were pure, you were pure. You're talking about a man and woman, that, that man... uh this is the example that we need to follow. Listen, listen, guys and gals, we are confused in our world about what real manhood and real womanhood is. The roles of men and women are so confused. We can learn a lot from Ruth and Boaz about what those are. As a matter of fact, just, just some of the aspects of men that we see in Boaz, that men we need to put in our lives, uh, it, it, some of the aspects, uh, a real man rejects passivity. Passivity. You think Boaz was a passive man? Not on your life. He didn't just sit back. He wasn't passive. Too many men in our world are passive today. Real men are not passive. They reject passivity. Matter of fact, real men accepts responsibility. Did Boaz shun his responsibility? No, Boaz accepted responsibility for Ruth, for Naomi, for, the, for their future heir. He, he, he accepted responsibility. Too many men have zero responsibility today. Men reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously. That's what he did. I'm going to take care of this, Ruth. You don't, I'll settle it today. I'm going to go find this dude. He led courageously. He told his young men, don't you touch her. You touch her when she's working in the field. You touch her and I'll break your thumbs. Listen, don't, he led courageously. He led courageously. He, he, selfless sacrifice. This was going to cost him money. He's going to give an heir. He's going to have to take care of Ruth and Naomi, a future heir. It's going to cost him selfless sacrifice. Real men give, not take. Real men are generous. They give and not take. Do you see many men today that are more interested in giving than taking, or is it just all give, 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 give? Me, not me give. Right? I mean, real men, and here's what we see in, 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 in Boaz. They deny themselves physical pleasure for the true joy in Jesus. Deny themselves physical pleasure for truth. Guys, let me make sure you understand something, okay? If you're the kind of man I just mentioned, if you're the kind of man at Boaz, you accept responsibility, you lead courageously, you reject passivity, man, you self-sacrifice, you're more giving than taking, oh man, you are, you are so self-controlled that you're willing to sacrifice physical pleasure for more joy in Jesus. If that's the kind of man you are, let me make, let me make sure you understand. If that's the kind of man you are, every you, you can name your paycheck. If there's an employer in here, every employer in this room says, if I could find that man, I wouldn't care what kind of college degree he had. I wouldn't care anything. If I could find that man, I'd pay him everything I could pay him to keep him because you can't find these kinds of men. You're that kind of man. You are in a market all alone. You can name your paycheck if you're in a market like this, If 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 that's you. Listen, dudes, if that's you, you'll you, you beat the women off with a stick because they'll pester you to death. Get ready. Don't beat them off the stick. That's what my mama used to say. So, <laughs> Dudes, man, you, you, you want women to, you, you be this kind of man. I'm not saying, you know, I mean, quit worrying about your abs as much as your character. I'm not saying don't, you know, be, be out of shape. I'm just saying worry about what's important. You'll have women everywhere. You'll have you'll have employer. You you have you always have a job. You'll always have. This is where, ladies. If the, uh, what do we seeing Ruth, man, a gentle and quiet spirit. That read Proverbs thirty one. Gentle and quiet spirit, but with strong conviction. Man, we we see a woman in Ruth who was virtuous, who was hardworking out in the sun, and I mean wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty. She was submissive, yet she led. She lay at, at, at Boaz's feet, but she told him what to do. She was submissive, yet she led. She was dependent, on, Bo- but she was strong. She wasn't weak. Ladies, let me tell you something. If this is you, you love Jesus, man, you are hardworking. You are virtuous. You're not gossip. You're, you're not drama. Man, this is... The the men will beat your door down. Listen, you you can work anywhere you wanna work. I I don't think we understand if we follow biblical principles, the world craves that. It's like bees to honey. I mean, it's like me to honey. It's like bees to clover, right? I mean, they crave that. They crave it. Man, I'm telling you, we can learn a lot from Ruth and Boaz and about their character and about their intentionality. My question is, do you have intentionality? There's so many areas of your life where you probably don't, and I would would advise you, one of the greatest things you can do is sit down and begin to make a plan with your spouse if you're married, and if you're single, make a plan, let a a godly friend look it over for spiritual growth, for, if you're not married, for future husband or wife, right? If you're married, uh, for your marriage. If you're married without kids, for future kids. Uh, Make a plan for parenting, make a plan. Make a plan, be intentional and live with integrity? What areas of your life do you need to adjust? Man, what areas of your life do you need to come in and say, God, this is not a good reputation. This is not something that's gonna bolster my reputation. I need to adjust that. Where is that in your life? Travis is gonna come and our team, and they're gonna lead us. And let me, let me tell you what's going on within my heart and within the heart of our staff. Man, I really believe, I, we, I really believe that that. God is doing something just under the surface somewhere in our church, and I really believe that we're going to see a movement of the Holy Spirit begin to flow through our church. I really believe that God's going to do some great things. He's going to begin to awaken people's uh, spiritual eyes. I believe he's going to revive uh, believers, and I I believe, and I'm praying. I just want you to know that I'm praying that the Holy Spirit begins to do something in our church that just causes our jaws to drop and we have no clue but just say, God, praise God. Matter of fact, our staff, every Monday morning, our elders begin to pray. We we pray for you, we pray for the needs. But this past Monday, and, and we're gonna do it every Monday, our entire staff, every person on staff, we join together and we pray for an hour for you. And we pray for an hour for God, his supernatural movement of his Holy Spirit to just begin to take this church by storm. I want you to pray that with us. I want you to pray that let it begin in me. I really believe God's up to something, and and I feel something that's going on, and I don't know what God's gonna do, but I just hope it drops our jaws. And, and so today, I, I, what we're going to do from here on out, because we don't know what God's doing, what we're going to do, is we've asked our, some of our deacons, they're going to come when we're singing at the end, and they're going to stand in front of that wall, uh, or like in front of this wall where the crosses are, and that one over here, and man, they're there to pray with you. Some of you may, may need healing. You've got a bad medical report, and and, and you just need to pray for that. They wanna pray for you. Some of you may have a, 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 a marriage that's, that's going crazy and whatever, and they wanna pray for that. Kids, uh, help. some of you may just think, man, I, I just wanna praise God. I, I Pray for that, right? You can go to them, or you can come right here too, because listen, you can go straight to Jesus. He's your high priest. But we want you to pray that God will send revival and let it begin in you. Maybe some of you today need to confess some things that's lacking in your character and integrity uh, as a believer, and you need to confess those and ask God to give you strength. Some of you today are not believers, and here's my prayer, whether it's online in a coffee house somewhere in the Middle East or whether it's right here. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. It doesn't matter what I say. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you and open your heart, your eyes cannot see. And I'm praying today that the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of of somebody who's lost, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, that He opens their eyes and calls them into Himself. And I pray that every day. And so right now, when Travis comes, man, we're gonna begin to sing one of absolute, oh, a great song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And as we sing, He Will Hold Me Fast, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit begins to move. And that you just obey the Holy Spirit. If he tells you to go pray with one of our deacons, that you go pray. If he tells you to come pray here, that you pray. He tells you to, hey, I, I want to save you. You come back and talk to us or come and talk to one of our deacons. I, I don't, you just, I pray that, that, here's what I pray, that the Holy Spirit just gives you the courage to say, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going down there. I'm go- I, I, maybe it's to go over to pray for your mama or your daddy that's in the room or a friend or somebody. Just would you obey the Holy Spirit? Let's pray together. Father, right now we ask, that we always, when I come every, every week, every time I preach, my prayer is that I would preach the word of God to the people of God and the power of God for the glory of God. That's my prayer. God, I, I don't wanna be clever. I, I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to just be clever. and I, don't, I, I want to preach your word to your people and your power for your glory. And I pray that that's been done today. And I pray that you, I know if that's been done, your word promises it never comes back void. And I know that that doesn't mean necessarily that today it's going to produce. It might planted seeds that come to fruition a month, a year, two years from now, five years. But I pray today, right now, in the name of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be free to move in this place, that your people would be submissive. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be so thick that, Lord, we know that you're here. To ask you to be here is, Lord, it's it's silly because you're everywhere, but God, we ask your manifest presence to be so thick in this place. We ask that you would begin to let us taste what you want to do. Help us to see the Holy Spirit. We know we can't necessarily see your face. We pray we'd see your hand and your movement. God, as the scripture says, we we, we can't see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. And I pray that we begin to see the effects and begin to taste what you're doing. Right now, I pray, Father, in the name of your son, that your Holy Spirit would be free and that our people would respond in obedience.